Thank you, Sierra. All right, well, keep your Bibles open. We're going to be in that passage for a while this morning, for our whole time this morning, okay? Um, I do bounce around a little bit, but we're going to be anchored right there. As a church, we are walking through the book of Ephesians, and this morning, I'm just going to put, kind of let the cat out of the bag. This morning, we're going to be doing some talking about race, okay? We talk about race a little bit. Now, here's the deal. The minute you hear me say that we're going to talk about race, odds are represented in this room right now a variety of responses to that comment I just made. There's a good chance there's some of us that are thinking here this morning, why? Why would you be speaking about race on a Sunday morning, your Bible open, behind the pulpit, or music stand? Why would you be speaking about race? Isn't this a social issue? Is this really related at all to, you know, the Bible or the gospel? Some of us this morning may be thinking that. There's others represented here in this, morning, this, this room this morning that their response to that statement is, it's about time, right? It's about time you talk about race. So if that's the continuum that we are kind of in this morning as we approach the conversation of race, odds are there are people all over the place on that continuum, okay? Um, we are talking about race this morning because in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, um, race is at the center of the text. To understand this text well and, and to really know what's going on, Paul is talking about race. And so as we open up our Bible and we talk about what the Bible talks about, if that topic is race, then we talk about race. Now just to back up a little bit, we've been, start, we've been you know, going through the book of Ephesians and in chapter 1 we saw... Paul start off with an explosion of praise. He considered and reflected on who God was, the triune God, and his response was to praise him for who he was, who he is. Then in the second half of chapter 1, Paul moves into a prayer specifically for the church at Ephesus. He prays that their hearts would be enlightened, the eyes of their hearts would be opened, that they might know this God who he just praised, that they might know him fuller and deeper, and the power that is at work towards those who believe, that they might grow in their understanding of who God is. Last week, as we moved into chapter 2, we talked specifically about the work, the saving work of Jesus Christ. The power that is at work towards us to reconcile us to God. So in chapter 2, what we see here, really the, the first half of chapter 2 and the second half of chapter 2 are all about, because of God's power towards those who believe, we now have peace and reconciliation between us and God, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and peace and reconciliation with each other. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 11 through 22. So again, my hope is, and I say this just about every week in some way, shape, or form, that you will see as we open up God's word, his truth that we believe to be absolutely eternal and totally true, that is also immeasurably practical. It is incredibly helpful. There is no resource out there that is more helpful for us as God's people to learn how to live in this life right here, right now, then this book. It proves that once again today as we enter into a conversation about race. A sensitive and a complex issue at that. And so, for this conversation, for this message, I need prayer. 
Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much this morning, um, just that you are a God who has a tremendous amount of love for us here in this place. Lord, you've given us your word. Again, we believe it to be eternal. We believe it to be true. We ask that you would use your word to shape us as your people. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open, that they would be enlightened to your truth this morning, that we might fully understand you. Lord, that's our prayer. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. On March 3rd, 1991, Rodney King was horribly beaten by the LAPD. It was viewed all over the world. The infamous footage would become a visceral symbol of the long-standing racial tensions, not just in L.A., but also in our country. I was in fourth grade. I can remember after the police officers that were involved in that were acquitted, I can remember getting in my car, not really knowing what is going on, getting in the car with my mom. I was in fourth grade, driving up Pennsylvania Avenue after school in Dubuque, Iowa, and I, she turned on the radio, and we heard the reports of what was going on in, in L.A. I can remember exactly where I was at that moment. The L.A. riots that, that came out after were the response to the acquittal of these, uh, of these officers resulted in 63 deaths, 2,300 injuries, and over a billion dollars worth of property damages. In the midst of a city on fire with destruction and despair and tension, King made a televised appearance. He was emotional. His words were raw, they were unrehearsed, and they were urgent. Maybe some of you remember the interview. He asked a question. It's a profound question. It's a question that many of us find ourselves asking all the time. The question was this. Can we get along? Can we get along? Folks, the reality is we live in a world filled with constant suspicion and segregation between varied groups of people. We group ourselves, right? Black, white. Rich, poor, Christian, Muslim, conservative, progressive. The list goes on and on and on and on. And as a result of these groupings, as we live our life, there is tension in the office. There's tension in the classroom. There's tension and challenges in our neighborhoods and even in our homes. If we just get a glimpse of the media, or even worse, the social media, we see the depressingly relentless cycle of strife and division that plagues us. We can take some comfort this morning in knowing that that strife, that division, has plagued humanity since its inception, since Genesis 3. All of humanity has dealt with division and strife and have found themselves asking just like Rodney King, can we get along? Like, is it even possible to get along? Well, thank God for Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. Because in this text, what we discover this morning is not just an answer to that question, but also an answer to another question. Can we get along? Emphatically, Ephesians chapter 2, 11, verse 22 says, yes. Peace is possible. 
But what I love about this passage is it doesn't just say, yes, there's the possibility of peace. It also shows us how it's possible. In fact, that is the main point of the text. How? Not just can we get along. The answer yes to that question. My next question is how do we do that? Well, here's Ephesians. Here's the main idea of the text. Peace is possible because Jesus, a Jewish Messiah, died to reconcile Jews and Gentiles to God and to each other. Peace is possible, I'll say it one more time, because Jesus, a Jewish Messiah, died to reconcile Jews and Gentiles to God and to each other. This morning, as we go through this text, break it up in three different ways, the first point I want you to see in verses 11 to 12 is the problem, okay? And this, there's, there's some depth to this problem. This is not an easy problem, okay? Verses 11 to 12, Paul introduces us to the problem, and the problem is simply this. Ethnic or racial division exists between Jews and the Gentiles, in other words, between us, because of sin and the law of Moses, Now, we need to understand this morning that when I say ethnic or when I say race, I mean Jew and Gentile. I mean other. I'm not primarily concerned with skin. When the Bible talks about race, it's not talking specifically about skin. The concept of race in the Bible involves ethnicity, involves uh, politics, it involves theology and culture and location. Okay, It's a different understanding than how we normally discuss and talk about race because the problem ultimately is not with the skin right the problem is with the heart the problem is with the heart when we think of racism specifically it's not a skin color problem it's a heart problem okay and Paul categorizes these groups of people in the text as Jew and Gentile these groups of people that are alienated from each other Notice how the structure of the passage corresponds to the structure of the first half of the chapter. Paul is describing here, as he did in the first half in verses 1 through 3, the plight of humanity, the hopeless reality of life without Christ. Look at verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. Stop right there. Gentiles in the flesh. Remember, Gentile is a racial, it's an ethnic category that Paul's talking about. And when Paul writes about Gentiles, he's referring to those who are not Jewish. Reminding non-Jewish Christians that their alienation is the result of not only their sins, but also the fact that they were Gentiles. Right? Goes on. Called the uncircumcision. You'll be greatly aid. I'll remind you again if you keep your, your eyes on your Bible. Okay, I'm just going to try to walk through it a little bit. Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Notice again the ethnic language. Gentile, circumcision, uncircumcision. If you're new to the Bible, you're probably thinking to yourself, whoa. Things just got a little personal, okay? Circumcision, uncircumcision, what in the world is going on here? Well, circumcision goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis 12, God establishes a covenant with Abraham, right? He says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. 
Abraham, I'm going to bless you with a land and a people. And through your people, Abraham, through these people, my covenant people, you'll be a blessing to all of the earth. And then in Genesis 17, he gives him the sign of that covenant. That sign is circumcision. He gives him a sign of the covenant. God says to Abraham, everyone who identifies with the people of God, with the people of Abraham, who identifies with my people, will have this sign. They will be circumcised. Circumcision was eventually included into the Mosaic law. So when Paul says here, Gentile, he means, when he says uncircumcision, he means Gentile. When he says circumcision, he means Jewish. Verse 11, Paul is making a distinction between two groups of people, between two ethnicities. And he goes on to explain in verse 12 to show them how hopelessly distant they once were. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, promise having no hope and without God in the world. So to be clear, the predicament that the Gentiles are in is incredibly difficult and it's incredibly horrible, right? They are distant from God, not just because of their sin, but also because of their ethnicity, okay? They are separated from Christ, the Jewish Messiah. Yes, because they were dead in their sins, but also because they, of their non-Jewishness, because they were Gentiles, uncircumcised. They had no share in the promises of the Jewish people concerning the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited, great, peace-making king. So Paul says both your sin, Ephesians 2, verse 1, and your ethnicity, Ephesians 2, verse 12, exclude you from Christ himself, from the Jewish Messiah. Furthermore, he goes on in verse 12, they are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. Gentiles were excluded from citizenship of Israel. Therefore, they had no rights to the privileges of knowing God, of embracing and receiving his covenantal promises, his ethical laws, his powerful protection, and his faithful provision. These things were foreign to them. They were not accessible to them. As we discussed earlier, God made one marvelous promise to Abraham, and this promise was amplified periodically through other covenantal arrangements revealed progressively throughout the history of God's people. For example, the covenant he established with Moses, where he promised to bless those who would keep. He gives Moses the law, his law, and promises to bless those who keep his law, the covenant he makes with David, the humble king after God's own heart. God would covenant with David's son, who would also be God's son, and who would eventually rule over God's eternal kingdom. These are covenant promises that are foreign to Gentiles. They're excluded from them. If you think of the law of Moses itself, the whole intent of this law was to circle God's people like a fence, Right? And it would protect them from Gentile influences. And it would mark them as separate from the rest of the world. The idea was that people would look at God's people. They would see them following and embracing being marked by this law. And they would know that they are God's people. Separate from everybody else. Paul goes on. He says, you're a Gentile. As a Gentile, you have no hope. And you were without God in the world. I mean, to be clear, this is really as bad as it gets, okay? As bad as it gets. This is, as a result of Genesis 3, our human predicament. That we are alienated from God. 
and we are alienated from one another. Right? The first act of racism is when Cain killed Abel. Right? It's the result of sin. Secondly, Paul moves on and shows us, thankfully, I mean, most of us, hopefully, I mean, when we think about the division that we feel from one another, it is all-encompassing, right? We, we, we categorize, we, we try to force ourselves into boxes, right? And, and whoever's in a different box, we got a problem with them. This is human history, fighting and strife and division, okay? It's our problem, and everyone, I mean, just lift your head up and look around, and I don't have to prove it to you, you can just see it all around us, okay? Luckily, Paul... God provides us with a solution. Paul shows us what the solution to that problem is, and the solution is a person, okay? We discover that the solution to our problem, the most fundamental problem that we have of alienation, yes, between us and God, and also between each other, is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In other words, peace is possible with God and with each other only because of the blood of Jesus. Paul is emphatic when he says it. He himself, Jesus, is our peace. Right? I'll show you three ways that Jesus embodies and demonstrates and achieves this. First of all, we see it in his life. Okay, if you just watch Jesus as he navigates his life in the Gospels, if you listen to the stories he tells, the relationships he builds, the, the, the people that he blesses, you will see that Jesus embodies this. As a person of peace, Paul tells us, but now in Christ Jesus, you have been far off, have been brought near. He's the embodiment of peace. We see this in Luke chapter 4, right? When Jesus arrives on the scene, inaugurates his ministry, he goes into the synagogue in his hometown. He opens up the scroll. He reads from Isaiah. He preaches. He sits down. Everybody's like, this man, this is one of us. This is our homeboy right here. I can't believe this, right? It's one of us. I can't put this marvel at him, right? Jesus stands back up, tells him two stories from the Old Testament where God went over the Jewish people and intentionally blessed a Gentile person, right? Now, the response to hearing that, Zarephath the widow and Naaman the leper, as they hear God's blessing on these non-Jewish people, all of a sudden, their response changes. They, they, it, it just flew in the, in the face of their ethnocentric world. It completely challenged their understanding, not just of themselves, but also and primarily of who God was and who Jesus was claiming to be. The kingdom I'm bringing, Jesus says, is ethnically different than what you think it is. I have come to redeem a people from every tongue, from every tribe, and from every nation. Okay? We see it in Matthew 8, the faith of the centurion. Maybe you're familiar with that story. Jesus is in Capernaum, and the, the, the centurion, a commanding officer within the pagan army that, that occupied Judea, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I've got a problem. My servant is at home. He's sick. He's paralyzed. Can you heal him? Jesus says, take me to him. I'll help him out. I'll heal him. And the centurion says, no. I, I am not worthy to even have you in my home. Just speak the word, and he'll be healed. And Jesus' response of this non-Jewish centurion, his response is, I have not even encountered faith like this in Israel, right? With no one in Israel have I found such faith. 
You go to the story of the good Samaritan, the foreigner who is the hero of compassion, or the healing of the ten lepers and the one who returns. Who is he? He's a Samaritan. The foreigner shines as he demonstrates humble gratitude. We understand by watching Jesus respond in these situations and tell these stories that the kingdom of God isn't limited by social or ethnic boundaries. Jesus came and he spoke directly to these misunderstandings. They rejected his message and they rejected him. And so racism at its core really is not just a misunderstanding of basic human rights. Racism in its core is really a misunderstanding of God himself. We see it, he embodies it in his life. He also accomplishes it in his death. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. God brought Gentiles who were alienated from God because of their race and alienated from the people of God because of their race into the people of God by means of the blood of the Jewish Messiah. Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made us, notice the language, us, Jew and Gentile, both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It comes down. What is that dividing wall of hostility? Well, I believe it's the law of Moses. The law of Moses, that when he spills his blood, the, mo the wall of Moses is what comes down. The law that separated God's people from everybody else that enclosed the Jewish people, keeping them safe from other influences. The Jews' observance of the law set them apart from the other races. From Gentiles, Jesus died on the cross and broke down that fence. Verse 15, by abolishing, here it is, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is what the blood of Jesus does. It brings, it takes people who are enemies and it makes them friends. It takes those who are different, who are other, and it makes them a brother. That's what Jesus' blood spilt does. Now, it's important to note that it is both. This is required for both the Jew and the Gentile, okay? Israel is not reconciled to God by means of the law of Moses. They will not be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentiles alike are both guilty of sin, Romans 1, 18 through 3.20. And Jews alike can be justified by faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 3.21 through 4.25. Because Jesus died, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, to reconcile Jews and Gentiles to God and each other. Verse 17. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who who were near. The message that Jesus, that we know he preached, the message, folks, was the gospel. And the gospel was a gospel of peace. No more alienation. No more separation. They were one. Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Okay? 
Last thing I want to show you about Jesus, this person of peace, is I want to make sure we all understand that this, like God's plans weren't hijacked, okay? This was the plan from the beginning. Go back to chapter 1, look at verses 7 through 10. In him, God, I mean, as we consider this, okay, as we consider what Jesus is doing, what God is doing here, I mean, our view of him should be getting larger and larger and larger. Our understanding of his demonstration and love for us should be getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Listen, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all the wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, listen to verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This was the plan from the absolute beginning, that through Christ, through the spilled blood of Christ, God would unite all all things in heaven and things on earth. This was the plan from the beginning. We see, we see glimpses of it all over the place in the Old Testament, Micah 5, 5. We hear a promise about the coming Messiah, King, and he shall be their peace. Isaiah 6, 9, he's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting Father, a Prince of Peace. This coming King would be a Prince of Peace. Of peace. Paul is quoting essentially here Isaiah 57, verse 19, that says, Peace, peace to those who are far off. Healing is possible. Paul tells that these prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus himself, for he himself is our peace. He is the source and the embodiment and the personification of peace itself. Okay? So, so far in the text, what we've seen is our problem. Now, my guess is I don't have to say any more about our problem. We can sense it. We know it. Some of us more than others. Some of us have strife and division that exists in our life right now. And we're wondering, what do we do about it? Thank God for his word. We have a problem. We have the solution. The solution is the blood of Jesus. And then he gives us this beautiful picture of what this looks like. Okay? Christ is our peace. He is our great reconciler. But here's the deal. Paul is writing these words for a reason. He's telling them to remember who Christ is, what Christ has done, and who they are as a result. He's telling them to remember this for a reason. And I think it's coming to us at a time where we need to be reminded of this truth as well. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and who we are as a result. Not who we are work to become, but who we are by, by definition of being a Christian. This is who we are. The idea of reconciliation across ethnicities and races and nationalities, across the walls that we have built to keep some in and others out, those walls have no place in the body of Christ. Jesus came to this earth, a man who was full of grace and full of truth, who was God himself, Yet he was rejected by the very people he came to save. His blood was spilled on the ground. His life was given up on the cross. His body was buried in the tomb. And in doing so, he crushed the walls, the barriers that keep us apart and keep us 
away from God. But the good news of the gospel and the wonderful picture we see here in Ephesians chapter 2 is he didn't just come to break down structures. The Bible says he came to build a whole new structure, to build something totally new. We see it in verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You Gentiles that were distant, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You went from being strangers who were distant and far off to being saints who were close, who were members of God's household. This, to be clear, is our story. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is what his blood was spilled for to take us from being strangers who were hostile to God and each other and to bring us close to God into the very dwelling place of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. If you're familiar with the first century temple, you'll know that the Gentiles were only permitted access into the court of the Gentiles, right? They, they couldn't go into the temple where, where the Jews, that was reserved for the Jews, what Paul is telling us is that it's not just that that divider came down in the temple. He's telling us that he's building an entirely new temple, an entirely new dwelling place where God himself dwells by the Spirit. In verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Under the old covenant, God's glory was put on display through the nation of Israel. Under a sort of come and see mentality. The idea was if you wanted to, to know what God was like, you would watch his people following his law and you would get a glimpse of his holiness. Under the new covenant, the church is to be the theater which is to put on display the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make his glory known throughout creation. Folks, I'll say it again. This is who we are. And it's who we are because of what he has done. Okay? And it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. It doesn't mean there's not going to be difficulties it doesn't mean that there won't be different styles and different preferences and, and different ideas, right? But what it does is it gives us a reminder, a picture of what Jesus died on the cross to create. So as we consider, as we consider the reality of some of the division and the hate that exists in our world across many of these different groups. I think the question I often find myself asking is, how do I move forward? What, what do I do in light of, you know, just not just in the culture, but I, I'm, I'm honestly primarily concerned with the church, okay? What, what is the response of us as a faithful follower of Jesus in light of who he is and what he's created? What's, what's faithfulness look like where this is concerned? Well, I think the first thing is, and this is, this is for me, but I think, you know, I'm walking you through my, my, my train of thought, and I hope these applications are helpful for you. There's a very good chance, and this is the part where sometimes it can get 
It can get a little tricky, right, because I want to show you how I'm applying this to my life, hope giving you a window into that, and hopefully some of them are ones that you can relate to, um, and, and hopefully you can maybe have some others that God's specifically calling you. I think it's the big question. In light of this truth, how, does, how are we formed and shaped as a community, okay? First of all, we can understand that the unity of the church is something that, that Jesus cares a lot about, right? And so as we see division in our church, and I'm not talking about foundational, like, Orthodox Christianity, okay? Like, there's certain things, like, that, you know, there's no division there, right? Um, but as we look at some of the other divisions that happen and some of the, 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 the division that happens within the church, and um, I think it should, it should and maybe just say hostility sometimes. As a member of this household, our first response should be that we should be, we should be broken, and that we should be hurt because we know that this is the result of sin, okay? This is the result of sin. And this has been, again, since Genesis 3, the reality. So I think in my life and in our church, we need to provide more opportunity and room. We see it all over the place in the Bible for lament and for grieving properly, okay? When, when we struggle with being who we are, that should cause us to lament. We should be brokenhearted about that. I think the other thing is, you know, there are a lot of other folks, and this happens throughout history in different ways, shapes, and forms, where there's, there's issues that the Bible and the gospel speak directly to that suddenly surface outside of the church, and the rest of the world becomes interested and concerned about as well, right? But a totally different understanding, not just of the nature of the problem, but also the solution, okay? So as there's conversations that happen that don't use this as the, the guidebook to navigate those conversations, we have to be very, very careful that this is our source. This is our source, okay? As we see these opportunities, well, I guess again, just let you know what it was, but as we see these potential points of conflict surface in our culture, folks, this is a wonderful opportunity. It is incredibly, for some, it, it, it brings about more pain, maybe for some than others, but it's an incredible opportunity for us to put Jesus Christ on display, okay? This is an opportunity where we believe firmly as followers of Jesus, we have the answer, right? And this is an amazing opportunity to share the answer. Like for somebody who's not in Christ, I'm going to have a hard time coming up with many recommendations on what to do. That's just the truth. Because I don't think there is a solution. If you were to pick us up in any country and drop us into any place, I guarantee racial strife, division is going to be in Abu Dhabi in some different way. There's going to be a unique history. There's going to be a, a unique story behind it. There will be different groups involved. No matter what country or context you find yourself in, this is, this is, what, it, this is what it looks like to live life. Okay? So apart from somebody who's not in Christ, I don't have an answer. Okay? Actually, my answer is, you need Jesus first, <laughs> all right? Repent and turn to him if you want any hope, okay? I think for us, this is an opportunity, like I said. This week I was visited by a, a I'm sure, you know, a fantastic young man who uh, knocked on my door. Iowa, you know, campaign season, maybe you've had some people knocking on your door. Bernie Sanders guy. And I thought, well, come on in. And Natalie was gone. She was at the gym, and there's, I think there was one naked kid running around, a little one, just a little... <laughs> It wasn't the best time. It wasn't the best time. But I thought to myself, you know what? I, it's a very difficult sort of 
terrain out there right now, and I, you know, I try to keep a safe distance, know what I need to know, okay? But I knew enough about what his issues were, so I invited him in and just talked to him a little bit, and he asked me the question. They always ask the same question. What are some of the issues that you're concerned about? Well, I, I kind of knew how to turn that around. Within about 30 minutes of him standing there, we're in my office. We have books in our hand, and I'm going through in about five minutes the entire story of the Bible. Right? And about how some of the issues that this guy is really concerned about, apart from this book, I mean, I'm not saying check out of those, okay, so be politically involved. That's another sermon. I'm not going to get, I'm already stepping in one, okay? So, um, but apart from this, like, this is an opportunity to share Jesus. Because, folks, we have the answer. We have the answer. It, it's tricky, it's complex, it's difficult. Um, but as followers of Jesus, we have an obligation to understand the gospel and what it means to be reconciled, right? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that based on the reconciliation he experienced with God, now he has a ministry of reconciliation, right? So we as the church are to be a picture of what this looks like, right? I think creating space and opportunity for us, you know, again, it's not just about skin color, okay? It's about how do we... How do we get along as a people? There are many things that divide us. So the first step towards, I think, stepping into this is calling sinners to repent and believe. True racial reconciliation cannot happen unless people get saved. All right? And thank God for laws that bring people together and that allow us to live and function in a civilized society. Thank God for those laws. People fought and gave their lives for those laws. But human law can't take a heart that was dead in trespasses and sins, alienated from God and each other, and changed that heart. Human laws can't do that. Only Jesus can. So in closing, just a couple thoughts would be, you know, lament, all right? I think uh, you see it as an opportunity for us to apply the gospel and to, to share the gospel and to demonstrate it as we live it out among ourselves. Um, I think pray as well. Pray for clarity. Um, I, I, I covet your prayers. I would even be so bold as to say, would you please pray for me, right? Because this, and, and pray for, for us, there are some, like I said before in this room, this issue is, in, is, is very close. There are others that, that don't necessarily feel it. And we need the God to open up our hearts and to be enlightened to who he is and what he has done, especially where this area is concerned. So, so pray, okay? Um, again, I will remind you that if you're here this morning and, and you don't know the follow, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you, you have not received the gift of salvation by grace through faith. Like, I'll just make it plain and easy, plain and simple. That's your first step. That's your first step. And then you enter into a, a, a community of people who, who, who live day by day in this new reality, this new humanity, one new man. It's a beautiful picture. Would you stand with me as I close in prayer? Father God, we um, thank you just for the opportunity to look at your word. We thank you for your truth, Lord. Um, and just as we consider the saving work of Jesus, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Lord. Lord, we thank you that the popular cultural narrative does not have to be our narrative. We thank you that you are inviting each one of us into your house and you are building your house with 
us and that your son is the cornerstone. Lord, we, I pray for those who are, maybe this topic is, is, is incredibly painful to even think about or talk about, Lord. I pray um, just for healing um, for our church, for our community, Lord, and for our world. And I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified just as this church embodies what it looks like to, to come together from different parts of this world with different languages and different skins and different amounts of money in the bank, Lord, that we would be a beautiful picture of what your dwelling place looks like. We love you and we ask these things in your name. Amen.